If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. As you are turning there, um, we talked last week about the prodigal son, and I just thought I would, this postscript, if you will, came to my mind. Um, I had some conversations, good conversations with some of you about that. And uh, the point was highlighted, which I'll just say here, um, maybe as a helpful addendum to that whole prodigal son. We made the point that the older brother was just as lost as the younger brother. That being said, the issue was the younger brother, of course, made a lot of bad decisions, went out to the world. Uh, it says that he came to his senses, which is, I believe is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and realized, wow, this is a bad way to live. I want to go home. So he went home, and the father welcomed him, okay, and uh, was glad to have him home. The older brother had done, quote, everything right in his life, really as a picture of the Pharisees, but rejected this whole situation, rejected this reunion, okay, and was furious that this grace was poured out of this younger brother. Basically said, hey, look, I, never, I did everything right. Uh, you know, what about me, okay? Uh, he's really a picture of the Pharisees that don't understand the endless grace of God. I'll just add this footnote, and I had some good chats with some of you uh, this week about it. Uh, someone raised the point, what if that younger son came home and didn't want to change his life? He just wanted to go home for food, lodging, you know, get out of the mess that he was in, but wanted to continue to live in that uh, worldly way, okay? And I said this, uh, we can talk about it if you're troubled by this. I would bet you that if that younger son brought home, came home, uh, dad, I wanted to come home, I wanted to be home, but he continued to want to hang out with prostitutes and drink and raise hell, shall we say, okay? Uh, uh, I bet the father would have to go to him and say, son, I love you, I'm glad you came home, but you can't stay here if you want to keep living like that. And in modern terms, we would call that a boundary issue. Okay, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Uh, I care about you. I pray about you day and night. I'm glad that you want to get better, but clearly you're not really want to change. You just want a free meal, okay, and get out of the mess, but there's no heart change. At that point, and uh, it's an excruciating situation for parents that love their kids, you have to speak the truth in love, as Paul would say, and say, look, I love you, but... I can't be party to this, okay? Uh, and you'd have to say, love you, see you soon. Uh, uh, you're gonna have to go. Excruciating, difficult decision for parents, but uh, really one that has to happen. And uh, a postscript that I would have put on the end of that uh, prodigal son. Love you, son, glad you're home. Uh, never stop loving you. Uh, but if you don't really wanna change and you're just looking for a free meal, Sorry, we can't do this, okay? Um, now I got all your minds turning and everybody's going, what? Maybe you're not, maybe you're like, I agree, I don't know. But jump to uh, uh, Luke 16, and if you would stand with me, and we'll talk about the parable of the shrewd uh, manager. Verse one, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. 
So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Verse five. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Okay, so we're talking about he's, he's working for his boss. He's lost his job. Okay, uh, he, but he starts calling in this debtors that owe money to his boss and say, we're gonna reduce your bill, okay? So let's go on. Verse seven, then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Would you pray with me? Father, we bow before you today. And as always, Lord, we celebrate the cross where you died to pay the penalty for our sins. You gave us your righteousness by faith. You called us holy and blameless as an adopted sons and daughters of God. And we thank you. You rose from the dead, you're coming again. And your spirit is here to encourage us, to speak to us, to convict us if need be, to flow through us as streams of living water in this broken and wounded world that we live in. I ask that you would anoint these lips of clay that what should be said may be said, what should be deleted, may that be deleted. And may your people grow deep in your word, enriched in their faith, renewed minds with the love of Christ flowing through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you have your outline there, as you can see, I've broken this down into three sections. Uh, parables, uh, rich man, uh, and the shrewd manager, okay? Uh, and the last section there is uh, divided uh, loyalties, okay? 
So let's ask this question first of all. Who is Jesus speaking to? Okay, in verse 1 there, you can see this phrase, Jesus told his disciples. Okay, so he's speaking, maybe looking directly at his disciples. There's no doubt other people around. It's probably a larger audience. But then in verse 14, we see the phrase, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples as according to verse 1. But then we see on top of that, Pharisees are, all, are there also. And apparently the things that Jesus said about financial resources, uh, stewardship and whatnot, uh, provoked this strange term, uh, maybe not so strange, uh, but it says sneered at Jesus, okay? Uh, always such a friendly bunch of people, you know. So uh, uh, look at your outline if you, there, if you would there. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and the Pharisees, okay? And he starts off telling a parable. And we talked about parables a little bit last week, okay? And I emphasize this about parables, okay? It's usually a story, uh, some common story with common everyday things that everybody's familiar with, okay? And what is the point is mental engagement and active thought, okay? Uh, what am I saying? Okay, if Jesus tells a story about soils and seeds and different types of ground, people in an agrarian agricultural society, they're going to immediately be on track with what he's saying. Okay, they're going to, oh, we know about that. We know about wheat. We know about barley. We know about agriculture. We know about seeds in the ground. So Jesus has them basically eating up out of the palm of his hand, if you will. So they're listening, they're actively engaged, they're thinking, okay? And then Jesus goes to the uh, telling of what the parable means and starts talking about seeds as God's word, different soils as the hearts of human beings. And so they can catch a spiritual point from an earthly physical reality, okay? Uh, when you talk with people about the Lord, okay, uh, remember Maybe they've never been in church before. Maybe they don't know what the Bible says. Uh, maybe they had a bad experience in church somewhere. And they have all kinds of preconceptions about what you're going to say. You have to get them on the same page as you're on. In fact, is what works best is to hear about their life first. Where do you live? What do you do for a living? Don't tell me you like the Dodgers because I'll never speak to you again. Okay, just a joke. Some of you could laugh. Okay, you're listening to their life and hearing about them. Okay, and then you get to the point where maybe you can shift to spiritual things. Did you ever go to church or, you know, what do you think about that or whatever? And then you're gradually working towards the reality of Jesus and the cross and grace and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus starts with something common, and then it points to a spiritual a reality. Mental engagement, active thought. Okay, the second pair, uh, uh, blank there, the parable is about the accounting that a bad manager must give. So we have an owner of resources and property and whatnot. Uh, he is called the rich man there in verse 1. Apparently, he gets a report that the one who's managing his possessions is not doing a good job, okay? 
Now I'm gonna to jump to the point of this so you can stay with me the whole time, is that every one of us is a manager of the resources God has placed in our care. Every one of us, okay? You may have a lot of earthly resources, you have, may have very little, okay? Uh, it does not matter, you are a steward of whatever God has placed in your care. It's not your stuff, it's God's stuff. He's placed it in your care and in, in your stewardship, okay? And the bottom line is we're all gonna stand before God someday and have to give an account. You can circle that word there in verse two. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, okay? An account of your management, okay? Many years ago, I was working for Dave Black, okay? And Dave said to me one day, I need you to go out into this field and chop all of the bull thistles with a hoe. If you've ever gotten that job in the middle of the summer, it's not the funnest experience. This patch of bull thistles was about half the size of this sanctuary, okay? And I looked at him and dutifully said yes. And he said, I'm going to give you a nickel for every bull thistle that you chop. And so I thought, how am I going to keep track of this? And I got a little three by five card, okay, just like this. I put it in my pocket and I had my hoe and I went out into that section and I started on one corner and started chopping every bull thistle off at the root. And I would get to 10 and I would stop and pull out my card in hot sun and write 10. And it took me two to three days, as I best recall, to get through that whole thing and have them all chopped. And I went up to Dave's house and I said, Dave, I'm done. Uh, here's my card. And he got out a little calculator and he added it all up, okay? And I don't remember the amount, but he looked at me and he said, are you sure this is right? If you remember Dave, very friendly, very kind person, but firm. Are you sure this is right, Drew? I said, absolutely. I chopped 10, I wrote down 10, I gave him the card and an accounting was happening for the money that he was gonna give me that the work had actually been done. It's an accounting. Folks, we are all gonna die someday and give an accounting of our lives. Now, I'm sure there's been a zillion hellfire brimstone uh, sermons preached throughout the ages, okay? Uh, and maybe they've had some benefit. Uh, I don't like to preach like that. Uh, I don't think it's helpful, okay? Uh, but there's truth here about the issue of an accounting. We will all stand before God and give an accounting of our lives. An accounting for what? Time, the time God gave you on the earth, your talents, resources, finances, okay? Your influence, okay? And there's a couple other, they slipped my mind, okay? But whatever it is, you will stand before God. And it is important that you make daily choices based on this eternal accounting, okay? Some people live like fools, like they're gonna live forever, okay? My wife and I were at UC Davis last week. Libby had a doctor's appointment there. And at one point we were waiting for this doctor's appointment to come and we were walking through this mall and there was a store called Forever Young. What a bunch of stupidity. We are not gonna be forever young, however cool we try to dress. Someday we're gonna die and we're gonna stand before a living God 
And he's going to want to know, did you use your resources I gave you for eternal benefit? Turn your paper over, if you will. Eternal accounting, listen to these verses. For the Son of Man is coming, going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Okay? Next one, 2 Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The next one. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Just, and then the last one, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It says in the Psalms that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay, it also says this is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. This all belongs to God. He made it. Your very life is here because of the sovereign hand of God. Your breath, every step, your resources, everything comes from God. So it only stands to reason that when we die, God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you utilize it for eternal benefit? Okay? If you look at Revelation 20, I didn't read it there, but Revelation 20, 11 to 15, my understanding is there's two judgments there. One is the Lamb's Book of Life and whether you are saved and born again and your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? And the other is a judgment of works. What have you done? Have, have you lived your life for eternal benefit? Have you lived your life with eternity in view? Have you invested your resources in things that will carry into eternity with benefit for the kingdom of God? Okay? And that's what this parable is all about. Okay? Look at your outline there if you would again. Stewardship is managing the resources God places in our care. Okay? Look back at the outline there. Okay, or excuse me, your text. Okay, so he has to give an account, okay? Uh, and verses three and four, he's lost his job. If you can picture him, if you will, in current terms, you're fired, here's your pink slip, you've done a bad job, get out of here. He goes back to his office, if you will, has a cardboard box, puts his pencils in there, his paper, his pictures, he's cleaning out his desk, cleaning out his office. He's done, okay? And he's saying... I don't have enough strength to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. What am I going to do? The accounting is taking place. He's foreseeing and looking into the future. The things that people struggle with about this parable is it sounds like Jesus is condoning dishonesty. Taking a bill that is rightfully due to his master and changing it. Okay? He's not condoning the dishonesty or saying that's good, but he is praising the foresight looking into the future, saying, what am I going to do? If you don't live with eternity in view, you're being a fool. And you're not exercising spiritual foresight to say, someday I'm going to die, I'm going to stand before the Father in heaven, and I want him to look at my life and say, this is what you did for the kingdom, okay? And receive rewards for that. It's not an issue of heaven or hell. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I'm born again. I'm following Jesus. The great expositor Alan Redpath once said this. 
I suppose there can be many saved souls who waste their lives. Now that's disturbing. That's troubling. That's a person who is a Christian. They've given their life to Christ and they're on the way to heaven, but they are forgetting the eternal accounting that's going to take place after they die. Friends, there's only one thing I want to hear in life. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all I want to hear. I'm 63. There's more life behind me than I have ahead of me. But every breath, every step, hopefully by God's grace, I'm going to point people to Jesus and let them know Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. He loves you in this situation. This is how you can be born again. Folks, this is why we're here. This is the purpose of our lives. Okay, look back at the text there. Okay, we can see that he does some uh, uh, wacky bookkeeping, if you will, in verse five. He called in one of his master's debtors. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. He asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Take your bill and make it 800. In today's terms, we would say that this guy cooked the books. He took the assets and liability statement and he changed them for his own benefit because he was foreseeing being out on the street and sleeping under a bridge. Thought maybe if I cut their bill in half, they'll give me a place to stay. Many years ago, I had an aunt who worked in the Bay Area for an accounting firm, and one of their uh, clients was Reggie Jackson. Well, of course, at that time, Reggie Jackson was one of my childhood heroes, and so I was eager for this aunt to tell me what she knew of Reggie Jackson. And she said, well, he came into the office one day, and he wanted us to change his accounts and figure out a way that he could pay less taxes. Okay? And we couldn't do that because that was dishonest. That was wrong. We refused to do that. Okay? And I think uh, Reggie Jackson had to find another accounting firm. Okay? The books were cooked, so to speak. And this is what happened here. And then the strange thing, as I've already said in verse 8, the master commended this dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, the word shrewd doesn't sound like a word that we would apply to the Christian life. Sounds cunning, sneaky, and whatnot, okay? But it's highlighted not for the dishonesty, but for the reason that he's anticipating the future and saying, I've got to make some decisions now so that I can deal with this future that is before me. Are you prepared for the future? Have you dealt with your spiritual accounts? Do you know Jesus? Are you born again? Okay, first issue. Second issue, are you making the most of every opportunity to share Christ, to love people, to reach out to people, to point them to Jesus? This is why we are here. Don't be a saved soul who wastes your life on temporal things that do not matter. Look at the next part of your outline there. Okay, see what it says? Uh, look at the text, I should say. The master commended, verse 8, the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you then, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. 
so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Worldly wealth, gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I've told you about my friend Rick Kelsey. Okay, back east, he was on our board at the church I was at in Elmira, New York, became a dear friend, loved Charles Stanley, and I was always talking about the grace of God. And occasionally he would bring it up, and I would like, okay, Rick, here we go again about the latest Charles Stanley sermon, okay? And it was great, it was all good, okay? But he just pounded the grace of God, okay? And he, one day he even looked at me and said, Drew, I don't think you understand the grace of God. And I was like... I didn't say it, but of course I thought, well, Rick, I'm, I'm the pastor here. I, I think I got a little bit of a picture of the grace of God. I came back to him a few years later and said, Rick, you were right. Some things I'd gone through and I just had a fresh appreciation about the wondrous, phenomenal grace of God. Rick Kelsey often talked about a man named Mr. Green, okay, who had been in charge of his boys' brigade club at Southport Baptist Church as a little kid. Rick had grown up in that club, had, had, had gotten married, had been through a divorce, all kinds of difficult things, but he still talked about Mr. Green, who took a bunch of boys out in the woods, and he would hold up leaves in the sun and say, look what God made. It's a man named Ray Bolts, who used to sing a song called, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And he sang about the fact that you're going to run into people if you've lived your life for eternity and for heaven. And when you get to heaven, they're going to say, I am here because of you. I am here because of you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. And Ray Bolt's song went through Sunday school teachers and different people that served the Lord in different ways and how it impacted people. And at the time, it doesn't seem like much. At the time, it's just a little thing, so to speak. But you know what? There's no little things in the kingdom of God. If your neighbor calls you and needs a cup of sugar and you take it over to them, aren't you doing that for Jesus? If you mow somebody's lawn, if you do something to help, if you take somebody some firewood, if you're doing some little, quote, insignificant thing, there's no little things in the kingdom of God. You're doing it in Jesus' name. You're impacting people. You're touching people's lives. And I hope that when I get to heaven, somebody says, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of you. I'm here because of what you did. I'm here because of that little thing that you anonymously did back then. This is what this is talking about. Using your earthly resources, and when you get to heaven, people are going to welcome you into eternal dwellings. Look at the middle section of your outline, if you would, please. The rich man performs a, receives a report of the shrewd manager's poor job. Performance, that's the blank there, that first one in the middle section. The next one, the shrewd manager hatches a dishonest plan to ensure his future. Okay, cleaning out his office, he's got his pink slip, he's going to get sent down the road, and he decides, i got to do something or I'm not going to survive, and then changes these bills. Our resources are to be utilized for eternal purposes. Friends, Think kingdom. 
kingdom, the kingdom of God extending over the whole earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. How can I use today, today's resources, today's time, talents, possessions, influence whatever you might give me to point people to Jesus? And I love this, and forgive me for being redundant, but isn't it phenomenal getting to heaven and somebody saying, thank you for what you did. It's why we're alive. It's why we're here. Look back down to the text I, uh, uh, in the blank there on your paper. We will be welcomed into heaven by those who are recipients of our giving and generosity. And I, if you have a computer, I would encourage you to look up Ray Boltz's song. B-O-L-T-Z is how you spell his name. It's called uh, Giving to the Lord. Uh, listen to it this afternoon. It's a powerful uh, song. Okay, look back at your text if you would. Okay, verse 10. Okay, now the parable sort of shifts into, excuse me, what we could call a proverb or some proverbial teachings uh, of application, if you will, of what this parable uh, is like. Okay, see what it says, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Remember what I said? There's no little things in the kingdom of God. If you're faithful with little, God's going to give you more responsibility. Whoever's dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What's true riches? People that Jesus died for. People that Jesus died for. There's no such thing as any little person. There's no such thing as any insignificant person. If the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, that heart of the Father for lost people should be our heart for lost people. Okay? And he goes on. Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay? Look what he says in divided loyalties there. There's a psalm there, Psalms 86, verse 11. What does it say? It says, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Can I tell you something? You may not know this, folks, but every one of us have hearts that have divided loyalties. None of our motives, I don't care how pure we are, are 100% sincere, holy, righteous. We have divided loyalties. Why? Because we're human beings. And we have sinful flesh. We have desires that sometimes foster things that are not godly and they're not holy. And that's why the psalmist says, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Psalms 139 talks about hidden things inside of us that we don't even see. I've told you the only rattlesnake you have to worry about is the one that you don't know it's there. If you know it's there, so what? You shoot it. If you don't know it's there, then you're going to have a problem. If you don't see your heart as it truly is, folks, that's when life will ambush you. Do not look at your motivations with just kid gloves and say, oh, I'm fine, I'm wonderful, everything's going to be good. I think it's wise to look at our own hearts with caution and say, Lord, purify me, cleanse me, change me. We just sang this morning, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's an honest look at your own heart, okay? And that's what God is asking for us uh, in, in this uh, parable. 
We all have mixed motives and loyalties. Look at Psalms 139 and Psalms 19 this afternoon, and you can see that. Stewardship defined is management of the belongings of another. You don't own what you have. When you die, it's all staying here. You never saw a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. All the stuff stayed home and your body went into the ground. But it's under your care for the time that you are alive, okay? So manage, stewardship is defined as the management of the belongings of another. The solution for biblical resource management is the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of your life. No such thing as this is a secular issue, this is a sacred issue. This is out in the world of business, this is in the home. Or this, God's over all of it, okay? And we are called to steward it, to manage it, to glorify God and to the glory of uh, eternity. Turn your uh, pave over and we'll wrap it up. Worship team, if you could come. Our earthly resources are on loan to us. Our resources include the following, time, talents, possessions, and influence, okay? Next question, what issues, concerns, or loyalties divide your heart? Read Psalms 86, 11. Are you utilizing your earthly resources for eternal purposes? Do you see every area of your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? If so, what does that mean for you on a practical daily level? Father, I thank you for this strange parable. Lord, it's kind of hard to read, but uh, you are praising, Lord, the foresight of this manager. And you're reminding us to live with eternity in view, to invest our lives, our time, our resources, our talents for things that will matter for eternity. And I pray that as we do that, when we go into heaven, we look forward to people looking at us and saying, welcome, thank you for what you did. I'm here because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.